Hello. Hi, Carol. It's Abby Glassenberg. Hello, Abby. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, you're more than welcome. Um, I found your website and your patterns um, just searching online for people who were interested in soft story design and have come up with a way to make it into a business. Um, and I was just interested in hearing a little bit about sort of your career trajectory and <laughs> what made you what made you uh, decide that this is what you wanted to do and um, and what kind of successes you've had and, and you know maybe frustrations along the way too. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it certainly wasn't normal. I can say that. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, it's a rare person, myself included, who is just totally enamored with making stuffed animals. So. <laughs> well, I know I've I've been on your website and not spent a lot of time on it, but I found your your animals and your designs just charming. Oh, and I I want to spend a little bit more time studying them and see what they're like. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's so nice to hear. Um, <laughs> but tell me a little bit about um, uh, how you learned to sew, and, you know, were you a, a creative person when you were growing up? Well, I guess I was. Um, my mom sewed, my grandmother sewed, my great-grandmother sewed. And they did absolutely exquisite handwork. Uh And so it was a natural for my mother to start teaching me at, uh, gosh, I want to say five at least. And then um, as time progressed, she started teaching me in earnest using, if you can believe it, Vogue Couturier and designer patterns. Oh wow. And she said to me, your your garment, uh, she really stressed this, your garment has got to look as good on the inside as it does on the outside. And then as time progressed when she when she looked at my work and she felt it was good enough, she said, "Okay, now you can go out and break all the rules." Right. But so you need to have I, the fundamentals first. <laughs> right. Right. So when I'm teaching my classes now, uh, that's one of the things that I really stress is that they, they have to learn the basics and they have to learn them well. But I know that as I was getting older, I would go down to some of the more expensive stores in town and I'd go pull something from uh, the rack that I uh, that appealed to me and I'd take it in the dressing room, try it on, take it off, just study the inside and then I'd go home, and I'd try to copy it by pasting a bunch of patterns together. And that really was what started me off on sewing. So uh-huh. for years, I just sewed um, clothing. Uh-huh. Okay. Great. So, the, yeah, um, did you study um, art or sewing at all in college? or Not sewing, no, but I was an art major, yeah. You were? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then after college, did, you know, did you – seek out a different kind of career, or did you, uh, you know, immediately decide that this was the kind of, you know, sewing and making things was going to be, you know, a career choice for you? No, not then, because uh, I actually was working in uh, broadcasting. I married somebody who also was in broadcasting, and then um, I put together a business at home that dealt with uh, 
broadcasting art, and oh. so I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't get into the the sewing for anything but a hobby until years later. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So then, what made you make that shift from sewing clothing to sewing stuffed animals? Uh, well. I, 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 it's really not to startle people, but I like to say because I got cancer. But oh, the really? truth is that I, I was undergoing chemo, and I wanted something to do on the days that I felt better. And so one of my friends gave me a teddy bear kit, uh huh, and it had a gazillion pieces to it. I did not enjoy the process, and I thought, okay, something's wrong here. You should be having fun when you are making a teddy bear. Now, I never set out to do a two-pattern piece bear. I just wanted to see, could I do this in fewer than a gazillion pieces? Okay. So once again, you know, like I was doing with the um, clothing, I was pasting stuff together and recutting it and making all these really strange little Neanderthal-looking men. And all of a sudden, I came up with the original bear. So once I did that, I thought, oh, it was easy to right. think in was terms that, of... Was, was that bear two pattern pieces? Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 That right. was so the very was like first one. Kind of a... a Two, the two sides, the two sort of profile pieces, and then it... Well, it sort of yeah, out. yeah, you've got okay. two pattern pieces, four pieces of fabric, because you cut a mirror image like you do a blouse. I see. Right, right. So, okay, neat. So that made the, the process of sewing that there much more straightforward and maybe more enjoyable for people. Exactly, yeah. And I was... Uh, I immediately came up with the cat, which was very much like the bear, only with a tail, and then the rabbit. I, I thought about, you know, how can I do this? And and I don't design like normal self-sculpture people who seem to translate things in terms of, and I'm talking about people who do realistic things, uh, mm-hmm. who translate things in terms of, uh, mathematic formulae. I don't do that. Um, I sit and study a, 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 an idea in my head mm-hmm. of, okay, which animal do I want to try and create? And then I sit and visualize in my mind what should that pattern piece look like so that it will give me the the look that I want. Right. And and that that's that I just see it in my head. And then do you do you then go from from that sort of vision in your mind to um to a sketch or do you just go straight to drawing the pattern pieces themselves? Um no, I sketch it. You do sketch it. I sketch first. it and 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 study it and and make it make up all kinds of prototypes to see what do I need to change? What do I like? What don't I like about this particular design? Right. I'm a big prototype maker, so I understand that process. <laughs> well, yeah, I have right. a lot of them sitting around. <laughs> oh, yes. Right. Exactly. I, I often go back and harvest all the stuffing out of them, and, you know, once I'm finished with them all, because there there have been a few that have been, you know, going on nine or ten prototypes before I'm satisfied, so I understand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. And I, I also have a problem with being a perfectionist, and I know at times – uh, some of my friends will say, Carol, why is it taking you so long? You know, just go ahead and do it. <laughs> right. And so I, I have a, I remember the lamb was a particularly tough birth until a bunch of my friends, we were all at lunch one day, and they said, Carol, stop tweaking with it. Just go ahead and put it out. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you do have to just say good enough is pretty darn good. You know, go forward. <laughs> yeah, right. But I right, like how yeah. you I like how you said it was a it was a tough birth because I do it's at times feel like when it finally does work it is sort of like giving birth to a new being. Yeah. Yeah. Um so so you went from, you know, designing that that two two pattern piece bear and then making these other these other animal variations and then what was the next step to, you know, creating this into a real business? Well, I was uh when when the first 3 were born, I was uh, still working in television um here in the Bay Area for the uh, ABC station, and there was another lady on staff there who was really actively involved in a group called Marin Needle People and they put on an annual show. So she said one day, "You really should pattern those and bring them out to the show. And I did everything myself. I shot the uh, the black and white cover to the pattern. Uh, I took it to the local printer. I typed it up. There were no computers. This is in the early 80s. So I typed it on a computer, and I hand-drew the pattern piece. I mean, it was very – well, I don't want to say crude, but it was – it was not as professional as it looks it now. Was, it was home. It was homegrown. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and I took it out there, and I had a, a really funny thing happen. I was setting up. I had also done signs saying only two pattern pieces, and I had all my little animals out on a table, and then my patterns right there, and so forth. And the, during setup. This woman swoops down on my booth and says in this big, booming voice, it's about time. And huh. she gathers an armload of everything and sails off you know, to the, somewhere else in the building. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who are you and what are you doing? Right. And she comes back a few minutes later with about five ladies trailing behind her. And she says to them, buy this pattern. It will sell. Well, what I found out then was this was Eleanor Peace Bailey. I don't know if you know who Eleanor I do. is. Of course okay. I do, yes. Okay, well, that was Eleanor, and these were shop owners, and she was urging them to buy the pattern, and that's really what kind of got that part started. Oh, wow, <laughs> that must have been very exciting for you. Oh, yeah, because I knew her patterns. I just didn't know her. Right, but to see her in person and then to really attract <laughs> yeah. her attention. Yeah, and, you know, and she really is uh, her animals. I mean, excuse me, her dolls. Um, and she's, you know, she, world. Yeah, she wears her dolls, and she's always after me. You know, Carol, why don't you create clothing that has your animals all over it? <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor, there's only one of you, and that's the way it should be. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So then, and it sounds like from there, maybe uh, various. These were these were um, fabric stores who were purchasing the patterns at that yeah. time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. So so you probably got quite a few 
quite a few interested from that from that experience alone. Well, at that point, yes, and uh, then I suddenly started hearing from other exhibitors about the Houston Quilt Festival, uh-huh. and because I had a sister who lived in Houston, I thought, okay, fine, let's check into this and see what would be involved in um, getting a booth at that show, mm-hmm. and I was still undergoing chemo at that point. And so I got the okay from the doctor to make this trip, and I shipped everything. My sister and her family helped me at the show, and essentially I sold out. Wow. I I was just startled to, to, to see the reaction to the animals. And I think, you know, some of it was you're at this show, they're mostly quilts, and it's a do not touch. And here I am with all these fuzzy little animals that everybody was picking up and playing with and having a good time. And it it was just amazing to me that I sold out. Wow. Wow. So then you're, now you're, you're talking about having your patterns really, you know, nationally, all kinds of, of different quilt shops and fabric stores. Well, yeah, I definitely. I'm sorry, did you have to produce them? You know, you had to, I'm sure, make that leap from, from the, the homegrown, you know, photocopied pattern uh, to having a professional, uh, you know, a professional printer take care of this. Well, that, was, that show was a wealth of information because I picked the brains of everybody that I could talk to about how did you do this, what did you do here, uh, make some recommendations. Uh, and, you know, I would just talk to everybody that I could possibly talk to to right. find out how do I make my things look better. And that's how I learned. Uh, then um, I know it was not long after that then that it, it became obvious that what I needed to do was to to do color covers. Right. And the man who shoots all of my covers is a very close friend who has done all of them from the very beginning. Uh-huh. And so there's a there's a, a similarity right. to all of them, which I want to maintain. Yeah, having yeah. that consistency is, I think, is really important. Yeah. And then, of course, I had to learn to do a lot of these things on the computer. Right. And I've got a, a good friend of mine who kind of cleans things up for me <laughs> before <laughs> it goes to the printer. Right. And, um, you know, he, the printer who's, who does the inside part is the same one who's done, done it from the beginning. So he knows my stuff. He knows what I need. And, uh, so that, that has all been kind of standardized over time. Over the, right. And then you opened your website where you also sell kits for each of the animals. So it comes with the fabric and the eyes and, all the notions that a person would need to make each animal, and then you sell fur and, you know, other other items that sort of go along with the pattern. So when did that begin? Well, I've all, from the time that I started this, I developed a real love affair with the fur. And uh-huh. it it has become increasingly difficult when I when I got into this, the fur uh, quality fur was fairly easy to find. 
subsequently we lost most of our mills in the United States. And I've had to do a real search to find somebody who can offer um, not not the really super expensive stuff because that's not my customer right. base. Right. But better than craft fur. Uh-huh. And uh now I'm I'm working almost exclusively with a man out of um Los Angeles who owns his own mills in Korea and China, but he has complete control over the quality. Uh-huh. And so uh, it it was it was kind of a natural for me to to offer that. And again, uh, like with the eyes and the noses, they're pesky little things, and I wish I didn't have to deal with them, but they're part of the animal. Right. They are safety. They're made by an excellent company out of Japan, but there are no more American distributors, so I have to order them directly from Japan. Right. And I, I, I need to offer them so that people will have them when they go to put the uh, the pattern together. Do you find from talking with people, I know you do quite a few um, quilts and, and sewing shows, and when you talk to people, do do they find it difficult to find those materials in their local fabric store? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. And even shops now uh, are, uh, you know, they're mostly quilt shops that we've got. We, we've got more quilt shops than we seem to have fabric stores right now. They don't want to deal with the big rolls of fur. That's understandable. Uh, right. Neither do I, but, uh, you know, thank goodness I've got a big garage. <laughs> but, um, you know, they come, these things come in 30-yard, at least minimum 30-yard rolls, and they're pretty right. big and they're pretty heavy. Most of your quilt stores clearly, obviously, don't want to deal with that sort of no. thing. No, no, my so local they'll quilt order shop, yeah, the they don't. do. Right. Yeah, my local quilt shop does not have does not have a good fur selection, and in fact, my sort of big big box fabric store where I live in Boston also doesn't have a great fur selection. Fortunately, a new uh, locally owned uh, fabric store just opened recently, and they have a wonderful selection of fur. But I imagine great. that most communities do not have a store like that. No, no, they don't. Right. So these kits are probably really nice and it's also nice to be able to know you're getting exactly what you need for a particular pattern so that you're not going to then so you know start sewing and realize uh-oh you know I don't have the right eyes or I ran out of fabric or or whatever well that's the other thing that I learned early on that my customer wants to grab and go she doesn't want right. to necessarily sit there and think about well what do, what do all do I need here so I try to tell people, okay, this has everything but the fiber fill. I also offer the fiber fill if you want to get it. Um, and I and I recommend a brand named Hobbs, which is a premier quilt batting company, but they also make an excellent fiber fill. Okay. And then you've got everything you need. Right, and that's very nice. So so now, do you do you also teach um, you know teach people workshops and how to make these toys? I do, I do. Um, I've got a Girl Scout troop that I'm teaching, and sometimes a show promoter will bring me in and want me to conduct a kids make bears class, which is always fun. Uh, sometimes the American Sewing Guild brings me in to to do classes for 
kids, moms, grandmas, we always have a good time with those. And and then I demo through a show also. Uh-huh. Because I like okay. to show people how really easy it is to work with fake fur if you just know some few simple uh, techniques. Right. And some people are intimidated because the fur has a pile and they're, you know, they're worried it's not going to go under their uh, their presser foot easily or what kind of needle to use and right. it's going to right. shift. And so helping people to get overcome those obstacles and then be able to really enjoy sewing with the fur. Well, and conversely, there are people who just don't want to deal with the fake fur. They want something that will work for small babies because probably the biggest group of customers that I have are grandmothers and great-grandmothers, and they want to make these for the grandkids. Uh-huh. And some of them are brand-new babies, so you don't, want to, you don't want to hand a brand-new baby something that's got a, a two-inch-long fur pile on it. Right. So I need to source other fabrics that are appropriate, which is where Minky and Minky clones have come in so handy, mm-hmm. because those are great for the babies, as well as just the really, really super short nap furs. Right. And, um, and my customer, who might be intimidated by the longer fur, uh, doesn't even hesitate when she sees the shorter nap furs or the Minky. Right. Right. So that's kind of a, a, an easier start, at least, for for someone who's interested in, in learning to sew with fur, but is a little a little put off by the the long the long right. tail, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Now, have you done any licensing of your patterns to you know mainstream pattern companies? Well, in in '93, I got a call from McCall's, uh-huh. and they said that they had been getting a lot of telephone calls from customers who'd heard about these easy two-pattern piece animals and did did McCall's know anything about them. And they finally tracked me down through an ad huh. that I'd run in a magazine. Uh-huh. And I uh, signed a licensing agreement with them, which is in effect today. They've been a wonderful, wonderful company to work with. And it's it's just been a really wonderful association. That's I have birthday. no regrets at all. So have you, um, how many patterns have you, or pattern envelopes, I guess is, is how they are, um, have you done with them? Oh, my God, Abby. I, I have no idea so is it, at this is it point. All, is it your whole line? Is it all of your animals? No. No. Okay. Um, they, they take a look at my things. They keep, they keep a look at my website, and, and I'm really behind in coming out with new things. When you're, as you may know, when you're a one-woman operation and you do it all. <laughs> it is very hard Sometimes. to find that time. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to find time to just relax and get into that creative zone and, and create something new and you need to maintain everything you've already got going. Right, right. And and still go to the shows, do all the book work and all of that sort of I hate the business end, but unfortunately it's a necessary part of it. Right. And so um, they keep they keep a watch on my website. Sometimes they are at the larger shows. You know, they may have representatives mm-hmm. at some of the larger shows that I do. Uh, every once in a while, I'll go off and do a couple of the wholesale shows, and they'll see them at the wholesale shows. Or uh, you know, they'll they'll 
uh, email me or call me and say, there's a, a new Disney movie coming out and its main character is a, is a tiger. Do you think you could do a tiger? Uh-huh. And, you know, then, then if it, I, I think it's a possibility, I'll go ahead and work on it. Right. And that's right. kind of how we've been working. That's great. So, um, I hope you don't mind my asking, but has that been, um, you know, has it been lucrative for you to license patterns that way? You know, I just never know if, with this sort of thing, is it worth, you know, is it worth doing as far as a business move for, for people who might be interested in doing that? Well, in, in the beginning, it was wonderful. And it was, it was ultimately money that I didn't have to work very hard for because I'd already designed the pattern. Right, right. But as time went on, um, I discovered through looking at the paperwork that even though the number of units sold, because they do a reporting to me twice a year, right. uh, in, in the, even though the number of units sold had increased, uh, my royalties had gone down. And so I called them and I said, you know, is there an explanation for this? And they huh. said, yes, we've been hit with uh, the unfortunate fact that Joanne's has come to us and then we found that Walmart was quick to follow. Uh, they wanted to do 99-cent sale days of the pattern. Oh, right. And I said, well, couldn't the – and this was before um, McCall's owned Butterick or Vogue. They were still independent pattern companies. Okay. Okay. And I said, well, you know, can't you band together and refuse to accept this? And they said, no, the company has decided they'll go along with it. Well, uh, since my royalties are based on a percentage of the actual wholesale price, sale price. And then they're based on that 99 cent price. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's and the it, it sells for, right. And because the pattern envelopes themselves are probably, I don't know, what, over $10 most likely. Yes, yes, yes. And it's so a, it's affected that all it, of us. Yeah, yeah. to discount that to, to a dollar is really significant. Right. And not only does it mean less money for me, it means less money for the company itself. Right. I wonder... Um, I wonder, you know, now that the the internet age is here, um, as a, a person who sort of was was had this business before before all of the online, uh, you know, sales and Etsy and and all of that was was in existence, and now here you are still still doing what you do and and doing a good business at it. I wonder what you think, you know, the future holds both for you know the the bigger pattern companies, and then also for, you know, for people like you and I as far as, uh, you know, making soft toy patterns and, and trying to make a, a career out of it. Well, I think there's always going to be uh, a market, and I don't want to say it's as small as a niche market, niche market, but um, I I think that, that the thing that has sustained the sewing industry these past number of years has been quilting. Right. And I don't quilt. I don't quilt um, either. <laughs> I know how. Sure. And I, I, I 
feel that what I need to do is perhaps come out with a line of baby quilt patterns based on my animals uh, just to appeal to that market. And I will do that, and they'll probably be appliqued. Uh, I love to do hand sewing, uh, compliments of my mom, grandma. But right. I, uh, I, frankly, <laughs> I find quilting boring. <laughs> you know, I'm not a quilter. I don't like math. So quilting is quite a bit of geometry involved, and that does not yeah, appeal yeah. to me. <laughs> Yeah, and and there is little room for error. Right. And you know, mm-hmm. you can be you can be less than perfect when you're putting together my animals and and nobody's going to really notice. Right, because you they're, know, they're uh, you know, they're an organic, they're an organic uh, you know, representation of part of nature, you know, essentially. I mean, if you're making a moose you know, it's a representation of a, of a living moose, and, and a moose is part of nature, and nature is imperfect. <laughs> so I like that, too. Exactly. And and what I tell people, sometimes they'll walk up to me at, at a show, and they'll say, oh, you know, I made your bear, and it turned out just awful, but my grandson loved it. <laughs> and, you know, these animals are meant to be whimsical. Absolutely. And it probably was very whimsical, which has its own charm. Right. And I think and you just didn't see the charm. Right. And if they're <laughs> if you give them to a child, you know, they're gonna endow that animal with their own its own personality and love it for who it is. So again, that imperfectness can actually make something more perfect. Exactly. Exactly. And and I'm sure you know that if you, I, I know you've run into this yourself. That, that an adult will want to make something absolutely perfect, and yet the goofier, the crazier it is to a child, the child loves it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You've made a, you've made a little a little person very happy, even if it's not perfect in your own eyes. So they're very right. forgiving. Right. right. Well, Carol, thank you so much for talking to me. I think this this is so interesting, and it's really wonderful to hear from somebody who has the same passion that I do. And um, and uh, it's just really been a fascinating conversation for me. So thank you for agreeing to talk to me. Oh, you're more than welcome, Abby. And if if somebody were to say to me, you know, what would you want more than anything else in the world? It would be enough money to live on for a certain amount of time that all I had to do was create, create, create. Oh, me too. <laughs> I hope I hope that's in the future for us. <laughs> I hope all for right, both well, of us also. Thank you. Thank you so much, and um, let's be sure to keep in touch. Oh, please do. I would love okay. that. All right, awesome. Thank you, Abby. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.